Okay, I'm going to be reading from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians chapter 5. Be reading it in the uh, King James. Uh, also, I uh, just very quickly, in Mike's prayer, he, he said for God to make our hearts soft. The first verse that came to my mind, that as soon as he said that, was Job 23 and verse 16 that says, The Almighty troubles me. He makes my heart soft. You know, a lot of times we want to have a heart that's open. That's a soft heart. That's soft and open towards God. We just don't want the trouble that he has to use to cause it. How many just want the glory and that's what we have because of our position in Christ. And this again is going into propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. These terms all have to do, in, in their sequence, they have to do with our proper image. Job 23:16, the Almighty troubles me. He makes my heart soft. My heart there is led, my mind. And so Psalm 119. And 130 says, the entrance of your words give light. But it's got to have an entrance. It's got to have an entrance. The only way that God can have what, ours, what is ours in our position to enter into our experience is trouble. And somehow we just do everything that we can to avoid it. And, you know, our whole country's that way right now. Avoid it. It's just unbelievable uh, where we are. But there's hope and there's beauty of what we have in Christ, and we will see that. So again, the Almighty troubles me, Job said. He makes my heart soft. He thought the whole time that God was troubling him, it was because God had something against him. When he himself, in his own thought life, was operating against God under the influence of the enemy, and all God tried to do, all he wanted to do, ultimately did do was to double bless him to double bless him just think of the trouble that our savior went through you know we want the glory and that's true we want in philippians 3 verse 10 we want the we want to know him in the power of his resurrection yes but we don't want the sufferings of that depth of fellowship. And that's what trouble will give us. If our will is submitted. If it's submitted in total obedience. Job 23 verse 14 also says, He performs the thing that he requires. Notice that? That same chapter. He performs the thing that he requires. He hasn't left up a single thing to us other than never taking away the free gift that he's given us, free volition, so that we can choose, choose at any time just to submit and receive what he's done for us. Then he begins the performance. You know, many times the performance, and it is, the performance begins, you know, with chastening love, begins with correction and chastisement, and, and, and it's his love that's doing it. And so the Almighty troubles me. He makes my heart soft so that the word in Psalm 119, 130 can have an entrance so that I can have light 
And it can give me understanding where it says the simple are those that just have a free will and can't do anything and shouldn't do anything but simply just receive what he's already been done. This is brought out for us as, as believers that are in Christ in this particular time period of grace that we're in, which no other pre- people group has ever experienced it to this intimate degree and will for all eternity. And, and, and it's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. But also with that is John three thirty. He must increase. Yes, but how? How does he increase in us? I want the increase. I just don't want the decrease. But truthful, we have the increase in our position. But how, how is it going to be worked out? We said the other day, the other day, time is, one, time is the most important thing that we have. Because literally, time began in Genesis 1.1. That's why in John 1, 1, that's the eternal verse. In the, begin, in the beginning was the Word, the Word with God, the Word was God. The same in verse 2 of John 1 was in the beginning with God. Now, that's eternity. But time was Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created. When he began to do that, that's when time began. To work, out, to work in, give us the opportunity to work in eternal realities. And what do we use our time for? In in very convicting and in, in, in a loving way. He must increase. How? But I must what? Decrease. Do we even think for a second God left that up to us? <laughs> and uh, you know, he causes and brings in the trouble to cause us to decrease. Because we wouldn't even do it. You see, the only thing we can rely on, we have two options. The believer in Christ has two options in Romans 8, 9. It's the flesh that's in us or Christ. That is it. There's no, there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. That's why it's, I think it's extremely important, especially for pastors, teachers, to teach the whole counsel of God and not to dictate what they think they should teach and what they shouldn't teach based upon their own thought life. And so we have in Acts 20, verse 27, Paul said, I have not shunned, which means to keep back what I think is important or less important. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. All of it. And I love the way that these truths are brought out. Now in Ephesians, and we're going to see how beautiful this is, and we're going to see the options that we have. And here it is. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Be you, therefore, followers of God, as dear, dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, he's speaking to Christians here, by the way, He's speaking to each of us this morning, and he's constantly speaking this truth to us. But fornication in all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. You see? Now, we're gonna go, I'm going to go into... In a very 
precise way as God leads into the Greek. And I'm going to be mentioning some Greek words and possibly even some, uh, the mood, the tense, the case, so that God, the Holy Spirit, when he has given us the original manuscripts, not trans, just translations, as much as I appreciate the Amplified and certain study Bibles, there, there is language, there's a necessary language, study of language that can only be brought out, the depth of truths. And so here... In Ephesians 5, verse 1, the word be, it, be there is, is genomai, genomai, it's G-I-N-O-M-A-I, genomai, and it means to become. And what does that mean for us that are in Christ? Are we positioned in him? We are. So he's positioned us in Christ so that in time, a greatest opportunity, time is short, 1 Corinthians 7, 29, we said the other day, the time is short. Short for what? For when believers have issues, that they should, because of the forgiveness that Christ is in them, be instantly reconciled. We'll never be reconciled to others when we ourselves aren't reconciled to him when we don't come into him. This is brought out in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. <laughs> Instant forgiveness. Why? Because have we been reconciled? And we have been. We have him inside of us. Now, so to become means in your experience. So what he's teaching us is, I want you to become in your experience and in your Christian growth in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want you to become that. That that becomes what your character is in your position to be in your experience. And then, then, when that happens, you will be followers of God. Followers. Word followers here is memi te'ai. It's M-I-M-T-E, I believe, T-E-T-A-I. Not what it means. This is where, what it means. It, be, it means be imitators. You know, like a, like a child would begin in its growth to imitate its parents. Or whatever the conversation is, whatever the lifestyle is in the home, literally enters into the child. By the way, it starts in the womb even. The child is affected in the womb. <laughs> and remember, we must always remember, it's not what we say that teaches our children. It's how we conduct our lives around them constantly. They hear they may not be able to understand certain conversations, but it does enter into them. And whatever enters in, sooner or later, they have to deal with. And that's why conduct is the teacher. Followers, be imitators. This is where we get our English word mimic. Mimic. That's where our English word comes from, that Greek word. One particular truth about this about being an imitator, is, is this. It's the loftiest and most exalting endeavor that can possibly be set before men. Proposed to us, listen to this, given to us as our opportunity by Christ himself. By Christ himself. We're to do it as dear children. Dear children is techna agapete. Or agapate. Children beloved. 
We are in Ephesians 1, 6. We are accepted in the beloved. That's our position. That's what he's working into our experience. As children beloved. As is the Greek word hos, H-O-S. This is what this means. And this is very important to understand certain words. And this is what's going to give us a greater in-depth crystal clear understanding of the scriptures so that we don't just gloss them over and just be satisfied with a surface teaching. Listen, this is what it means. As, again, is hos, H-O-S, and it's the comparative particle. What does the comparative particle do? It points, listen to this, to the manner, which is the character in which the imitation is to be made good based upon the investment that's been invested in us. <laughs> it's amazing. And it indicates at the same time a reason for it. What is the reason for it? We'll see. You and I, those that are here, those that were in Paul's time as the Holy Spirit through him is teaching those in Ephesus and teaching those, and this was a circular or a secular letter. It was to be passed around to all the different local assemblies. That's what this was known as, not just a prison epistle, but a circular. It was to go all around to those local assemblies all throughout. That they are the children of God no longer of themselves, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, experiencing his love, the intimate desire that he has to love us. Children should be like their father. That's what Jesus said. And he said it in a way to help us from heaven in his intercessory uh, session there, that's what his present session is right now. He's interceding for us in Romans 8, 34, in Hebrews 7, 25, and in Hebrews 9 and verse 26. And then we have the Holy Spirit in us, taking those things of Christ and showing them constantly to us, which is the truth of our character being expressed to us. And that's brought out in Romans 8 and verse 26, so that we have a comforter in heaven and we have a comforter on earth. We are in time bookend with the eternal thought of God. So that in, one, in every sense, we're without excuse for sin or disobedience. In a single area for any of us. They are children of God, we are, to, and we're to experience his love. We are to experience it. Because children should be like their father. And love should meet love. And that's what we should have in our relationships with each other. Because what I have in my relationship with Christ and intimacy is what I will have with any other believer that I come in contact with. Walk in love. And this is what it means to walk in love. Walk in love. This is what it means. Be constantly ordering your behavior, which is based upon your character, within the sphere of this kind of intimate love. This love is agape. The love which God is. The love which God exhibited at the cross 
through his precious son. In, in John 3 and verse 16 and 1 John 4 and verse 10. It's that type of love. And that love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which he can take the things of Christ in John 16, 13 and 14 and show them unto us and have that expression, which is the ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And we have that, we have that in all of its uh, beauty where the first is the cause, the cause is love, and all the other eight are the effects of that love. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit because it is only God the Holy Spirit who can take the things of God the Son, what he's accomplished to the Father, and for those that are his. This is what is brought out here. But only is this fruit of the Holy Spirit to be experienced only in the yielded, obedient will of the saint. You know what saint means, right? You know, that was a word, that was a word that meant that every believer in Christ was and is. It just means one who's sanctified, set apart from everything, every single thing other than God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a certain class of people that came to be worshipped in the place of Christ himself, which is true worship. And there is only true worship when the will is submitted to Christ. That means even when we receive and study the word, it can be a time of the greatest worship, the most intense worship in receiving of the most intense desire and intimacy of his love for us. The saint, those that are set apart, is to order and who is our order in 1 Corinthians 14, 40? God does all things, what? Decently and in order. This is Christ. Because outside of that, there's confusion. There is no life and peace. So the order of God is Christ, and he is life, and he is peace. Interesting. The saint is to order his behavior or manner of life, which is character, within the sphere, and sphere here in the Greek, where we are located. The Greek calls it locative of sphere. Sphere has to do with place. We have been placed in Christ positionally. Now he's working it into our experience through the depth of his love that is experienced through the saint who separated from himself in everything. That's Galatians 6 and verse 14. God forbid that I glory. We, oh my God. The ways, the ways that we don't even realize we glory in self. Galatians 6 verse 14. And again, remember, there's no condemnation in Christ. There's a ton of it in the flesh, but none in Christ ever. Romans 8, 1. But, but it says in Galatians 6, verse 14, in the strongest sense of the word, I can't, in the Greek, it's brought out so strongly in Galatians 6 and verse 14, God forbids that I should glory. God forbids that I should glory in not forgiving. God forbids that I should glory in not reconciling instantly, instantly. God forbid that I should mention a person's name to anyone other than in the depth of who they are in Christ. God forbids it. God forbids that I should glory, except in the cross of Jesus Christ, of whom the whole world is crucified unto me. 
and I unto the world. But no, I can live in the world and stay alive in my flesh. Me, when I say I, I'm speaking of me. And certainly, is not the equal to, to the love of a father. That's why Jesus said in John 20 and verse 17, I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. We are to function within this love life, within the, the, the absolute place and sphere of this divine supernatural love produced in the heart, the mind and emotions of, of the believer by the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it happens. That is the only way it happens. When, and notice this word when, when this love becomes the deciding factor in his choices, and that when and choices have to do with the will submitted, and the motivating power in his actions, so many times we've been taught throughout the years here, I'm sure in other places, but I can only speak of here, that love is the active energy of God's nature. It's his very power. It's powerful. We'll see it this morning. We will see it this morning by, the, by his pure grace. But when this love becomes the dividing factor, deciding factor, I should say, and dividing factor in our choices and the motivating power in our actions, you and I will, notice will, be walking in love. <laughs> we will be walking in love. You and I will, notice will, be exemplifying in our lives the self-sacrificial love shown at Calvary and the Christian graces graces that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Read 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. It's called the love chapter. Every place where you see that, any place you see charity, cross it out and put agape. It's self-sacrificial love that Christ is. So you can put Christ there. Christ is not envious. Christ is not rash. Christ doesn't seek his own way. Christ doesn't see, behave unseemly or act foolish. None of those things. He doesn't. You know, all those things that we need to be careful of in his presence and in the presence of others and in the presence of young people and children and children. We'll be walking in love and we'll be exemplifying that beautiful love. Where it says here, has given himself, has given himself here, is paradokain huoton, literally. And this is what it means. Has given himself. means he gave himself up. Listen, listen. In propitiation, he gave himself up to his father so that then his father could give him for us. Boy, for us. Literally, listen, he gave himself up for us. Cut off in the prime of his life at 33 and a half years of age. And those three and a half year public ministry that he had, <laughs> never mind the whole private one of 30 years. Listen, listen to this. Total obscurity. Completely behind the scenes. Living just like you and I had to do. 
in obedience, in pain, in suffering, in doing things that weren't necessarily likable, but submitting instantly to do them without hesitation. And not only doing it for, to his father, but doing it for others. Not only doing it to his father, but he did it for others. Yes, he did. Oh, what we think we can't do for others, but boy, what we can do for ourselves is amazing. And us is speaking of me personally. He gave himself up. It's a statement of the act. And love is an action, remember that. It's the active energy of God's nature. It is a statement of the act in which Christ's love received its last and highest expression, namely, the surrender of himself to death. You know what this made me think of? I remember studying these years ago, many, 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 many years ago, and the Holy Spirit, like he always does, I kept saying to him all this morning, Early, 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 very early this morning. Very early this morning. As I was reading this and reading through it, I just kept saying to him, and I've been saying it for a while, oh Jesus, oh God, Christ, there's none like you. There's none like you. And he's heard that from me so many times. But this is what I heard this morning. And you, Ed, can be just like me. You can be like me. You can choose it. You can choose it. You can choose that. Because when you live for Christ, you live for others. It doesn't have a single thing to do with self. Not one single thing. All the things that we think we can't do for others, that we so readily and easily do for ourselves. And we may even call it our family. Song of Solomon 8, verse 6. This brings out Christ, by the way, in a most beautiful way. Song of Solomon 8, verse 6 says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, your mind. That's what Jesus, that's what God desires through the power of the Holy Spirit. Set me, set Jesus as a seal upon your mind. And if it's in your mind, if he's first place in your mind, notice what it says next. And as a seal upon your arm, no matter what you do, you'll always do it for me. And if you always do it for me, you'll do it for others. Why? For love is as strong as death. Jesus gave himself up to death. You see, love is as strong as death. Jealousy, his godly jealousy, Exodus 20, verse 5, Exodus 34 and verse 14, Deuteronomy 4 and verse 24, and in Hebrews 12 and verse 29, it's his, the intense fire of, his, of the jealousy of his love for us. His love for us wants to consume anything that's not of his precious son in me and me in his son. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which has a most vehement flame, an intense flame. 
And you know what happens when we function in love? Many waters, many trials, many floods. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. Isaiah 59 verse 19 says, Not if, but when the enemy comes in like a flood, then the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against them. And that standard is Jesus Christ, the highest definition of God's love ever manifested and revealed to every created being, especially to us, his church, in the most intimate way. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly condemned because there's no price on it. There's no price on it. He gave himself up for us. That's Romans 8 and verse 31. God for us, who can be, who against us? Psalm 56 verse 9. When I cry out to God, then will my enemies turn back. The enemy of doubt, the enemy of fear, the enemy of an unforgiving spirit. The enemy of complete selfishness and fleshly thinking. When I cry out to God, then my enemies will turn back. For this I know, God is for me in the greatest demonstration of his love, Calvary, that he's given to us. He's for us. And this is what's very important this morning. If we don't get too much out of this, I hope that I get it the way that God gave it to me and continue to receive it. And I hope you do too. For us here is the Greek Hooper, H-U-P-E-R, Hemon, H-E-M-O-N. Hooper, this is very important, Hooper is the great preposition of substitutionary atonement. That's what the Greek brings out in the most incredible way. And it literally means instead of, in behalf of. You know how many times God has brought back to me and I brought it back as, as much as I, I can, hopefully, and it's still Christ that's bringing it back. Those little words, in and of, in their context, are humongous. They're huge. It does not only mean that Christ died for us or for our benefit. Of course, he did. But he died instead of us. Listen, in place of us. That's propitiatory substitution. Instead of. I should have been crucified. I should have died on the cross. You should have. And all our sins been put on us. My God, then what would have happened? Would we have met the payment? Would we have been ransomed? Lutron. Would we have been reconciled? Katalage is the Greek word. K-A-T-A-L-A-L-L-G-E. It's katalage. We never would have been reconciled. No. No. No, but he died instead of us in our place. So that now in him, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, we're to know no man after the flesh. No. All things... They're not in the process of passing away. Positionally, they have been. But are they experientially, 
Does that include forgiveness, reconciliation? You know what forgiveness is based upon? The fact that we've been reconciled. And to say that I can't do that, or I won't, it's really I won't. It's putting self in the place of Christ. Basically, unfortunately, it's saying you didn't do enough. I demand more. You gave your life. You gave yourself up. It's still not enough. Maybe enough for me in my life and my failures, but maybe not so much for someone else, especially for the other Christian that hurt me or disturbed me or irritated me. He died instead of us in our place. He substituted, listen, for us. That's love. He substituted for us, receiving the full impact of the divine wrath against sin. The word offering here is prosphoron. P-R-O-P-H-O-R-I-N. Prosphoron. And it's from, from prosphoro or prosphoro, and it means to carry to. Do you know what that speaks of? He carried in himself you and I to crucify the old, and he carried all of our sins to Calvary. That's what he did. To carry to. That word is used in the blood offerings. We said this so many times when we talk about propitiation. Propitiation again, where we have that Greek word, is brought over in the Septuagint from the Hebrew word kafar, K-A-P-H-A-R, and it means an atonement or a covering. That's the mercy seat in Exodus 25, 17 to 22. It is used of the blood offerings of the Levitical system. This is brought out in Hebrews 10 and verse 8. That was Paul trying to teach those Christians once again. See, Christ fulfilled all of that. You don't have to go back to it again and try and do something in your flesh to please God. Because it amounts to filthy rags in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. All those, we said this before, we'll say it again. In propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation, there has to be a victim. There has to be bloodshedding. There has to be a death so that life can be experienced. That goes into propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. That's what it goes into. It goes into those things. Our Lord fulfilled these. He's the great antitype to all those blood sacrifices, those blood offerings. Hebrews 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no passing over of sin. God can't pass over. He has passed over. His wrath has passed over all those whose sins are dealt with. Their old nature crucified, Romans 6, 1 to 6, all the sins dealt with. Clear, clean conscience in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2, very clean conscience. But for those that aren't, there's wrath. Wrath. Consuming. Wrath, anger, hell, the lake of fire, which continue forever. It's called eternal. As many as try to touch those words, A-I-N-O-S, and so forth, time, eternal. 
70 times that word is used. Some will take seven little, try to make seven instances not mean what the whole 70 mean. To teach that hell is in, in the lake of fire is not forever. When the Bible makes it crystal clear, it is. Thank God it's not for us because he gave himself instead of we having to give ourselves over to death and hell in the lake of fire. Boy, we have so much, don't we? Our Lord fulfilled all of these types by, by becoming an offering for sin on the cross. This word sacrifice here is thusia, T-H-U-S-I-A, thusia, thusia, from the Greek word thuo, thuo, T-H-U-O, and this is what it means, okay? It is, means this, to kill a sacrificial victim, to emulate, to consume with fire, to sacrifice. The fire of God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ on Calvary. No wonder it was the darkest hour in all of eternity. It was the darkest hour. You know, we don't have to walk in darkness anymore. We walk in the light that the sun is. And that's brought out in John, the first chapter, verses 1 through 4. In Psalm 36 and verse 9. And many, many other places. John 8, verse 12. 1 John 1, 5. 1 John 1, 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. Ephesians 5, 8. We are children of the light that Christ is in us. The treasure. The lit up treasure in us. Oh, my our Lord is spoken of in this Old Testament terminology as a sacrifice, the very fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices, which were just in form or shadow of animals killed, and then they were offered on the brazen altar, which was typical of the cross of Calvary. That's what it was typical of. He offered himself as a sacrifice to God in full payment of the debt of sin which we as sinners owned and which violated law that was demanded that we could in no wise ever, ever even begin in the depth and bottom of our, our ruin, reach up and touch. But thank God in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27, for all of us in Christ, when we think we've hit the bottom of our bottom, he is underneath the bottom of our bottom and he holds us in his, he holds us in the acceptance of who we are in Ephesians 1, 6, in the son of his love in Colossians 1 and verse 13. This became a sweet-smelling savor. Eis Osman Euodius. Literally, for a savor of a sweet smell or for an odor of a sweet smell. So what is it saying? Keep on becoming, because of all this, this love and everything that's been accomplished, imitators of God, as children, dearly beloved, and be ordering your behavior within the sphere of love, which is your character. Even as Christ also gave himself up in our behalf and in our stead as an offering and a sacrifice to God for an odor of a sweet smell. That's all of ours. 
That's all of ours in Christ. That's our choice to experience with a submitted will. But when the will isn't submitted, here's Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. But fornication, fornication and uncleanness, listen to what it says, and I'll listen with you, of every kind of it, don't just classify certain sins. Every single one of them. And the Greek brings this exhortation over to a prohibition expressed in the strongest terms, which is leveled against one of the deadliest and most inveterate temptations to which, listen to this, Gentile Christians were exposed. Boy. The most inveterate, the most evil, terrible things which were exposed. You know what the, you know what the Greek, what our English word for the Greek word fornication is? It's pornography, it's pornea. Pornea. Oh, how we have to be careful what goes into our eyes, what we choose to see, what we choose to gloss over to continue to, to see what we think we really want to see when it's that deadly sin that's behind it. Pornea. And it's not to be restricted to any one particular form. It's the license, practice at heathen festivals. Concubinage, concubines, many women can't have enough. Marriage within prohibited degrees or the like. What do you think our country is like right now? Right out in the open. Judgment came to Israel, and it will again. That's brought out in Jeremiah 9 and verse 25. And it's coming to the church in 1 Peter 4 and verse 17. Judgment begins in the house of God, meaning for us, strong correction, like it or not, is happening. It's going to happen. Strong correction. Strong correction. It's going to happen. It's the license again that's practiced at heathen festivals. All the while, while some don't like certain forms of this pornea or fornication, like some will hate homosexuality and lesbianism, I don't call it gay. The English word gay has nothing to do with a perverted, corrupt lifestyle. They are homosexuals and lesbians. And I may hate those, but still live in pornea in my mind for women. Did we ever read these scriptures? This thing plagues men, by the way. It's the way it's being brought up. In the most subtle ways, in the most very subtle, subtle ways, it takes so many men out of the race. Men that, that yeah, in measure, God loves them and they love God, but it takes them out of God using them as a vessel. And they live in guilt and condemnation and shame. None preceding from the Father in Hebrews 2.11. Nothing that he did for us is there any shame involved in it and how he sees us and the purity of who he's made himself to be in us. It's Hebrews 2.11 and Psalm 22 and verse 22. Hebrews 2.11 and 2.12. There's no shame in him. This is Matthew 5. 
And you can look at anger too, by the way, in Matthew 5, 21, right up to 24 and 25 and 26. But look at this. Here's, here's Matthew 5 and verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old, you will not commit adultery. Now listen, listen, men and women, whoever hears, and, uh, and I'm one who's listening with you, right with you. This is spiritual first. It happens spiritually in the mind before it becomes an evil inward act that expresses itself outwardly. You shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her in his heart. Then it goes on to say, you know, if your right eye offend you, pluck it out. You know, really, it's not saying like multitudes did way back when. They actually were plucking their eyes out because they didn't understand Scripture. No, pluck out the evil behavior and have pure eyes. Being set apart. Your life. You know, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, holy, us, set apart for God. Holy, set apart for God. Notice what it says, and I notice it with you. In Romans 12, I'll read it for you. I'll read it for you. And I have joy to be able to study these things for you and to spend the time for you. I do, and I, 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 I get the, the joy of the labor in doing it for myself and the joy of the labor for doing it for others. There's great joy in it, by the way. I beseech you, therefore, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Have the one who's living in you, who is that sacrifice, to take precedence over everything. So many times we've said, and we've heard it taught, oh, God, we're to give God first place. No, he has that by virtue of who he is. He wants every single place. You place him first. You place him first. It's not focus on the family first. It's you place him first and his order of doing things. Otherwise, you're doing it for yourself all the while you say you're doing it for your family. It becomes an issue of self. What you can do for your family and exclude God's order. You as in me, by the way, with you. A living sacrifice, holy, set apart ones, acceptable unto God. What does God accept? What's been set apart, not set to ourselves. Which is your reasonable, my gosh, your reasonable service, and stop being conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing. Now you're in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Look at verse 20, 21, 22. By the time you get to 23, you put on Christ in verse 24. Follow it all the way through into the 32nd verse, forgiveness. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove, that God may prove in your mind to yourself what is that good and acceptable and perfect, finished, completed will of God. So begin to wrap this up this morning. Boy, we have so much, don't we? We have so very, very much. 
You know, the whole life, the whole moral life during Paul's, Paul's time, what was it like? Oh, what is it like now? What's it like in our country? What's it like in our circles? What's it like in our own lives? The whole Greco-Roman world <clears throat> had sunk so low that even while there were protests against the prevailing corruption, homosexuality, that's wrong. Wars committed to other people that are innocent, that's wrong and I hate it. Do we hate sin in us? As much or more? <laughs> Do we? Do I? So low that they didn't like, in certain cases, the prevailing corruption, but were never entirely lacking. But fornication had long come to be regarded as a, a matter of moral indifference. I, it's okay. I'm indifferent to that area of my life. I hate this thing. I hate that thing. But in my own private life and in my own thinking, where I go, what is the nature of my conversation? Does it reveal my citizenship that's in heaven? I'm going to state it again. Many didn't like it before, and that's just too bad. Many didn't like it when I brought up certain words that have certain meaning. Words have meaning, and it's brought out here. These words have meaning. Words that, that changed, even in my day. Honestly, and I'm not saying it's wrong or anything. Please understand me, I'm not. But gay meant happy. Cool meant it was cool outside. How about blessed instead? <laughs> Jeez. Words change. What? How did they change? <laughs> the world system. Infiltrating our thinking. And we just... Yes. Words have meaning. I, I like calling people by their name. I do. Please. I just do. It's who we are. And it become. But this fornication had long come to be regarded as a matter of moral indifference and was indulged in without shame or without the least bit of conviction. Not only by the mass of people, the world system, where the believer functioned in the flesh, by the way. We don't function in Christ experientially. We function with the mass in the flesh. But we're not in it, and he doesn't treat us that way. This is not who we are. I would teach this. Listen, this is what you're doing. This is what Paul was saying. The Holy Spirit was saying, listen, men, this is what you're doing. And God hates it. But it's not who you are. Man pleaser. He wants me to obey and do what he wants to be a man pleaser. Yeah, come here. Don't see you. Please don't come. <laughs> Please don't. Don't come. Unless you bring Christ. Unless I bring him too. Without shame with these sins, choices of sins, not only by the masses, but by philosophers and men of so-called distinction. God, you get to be an athlete, get all kinds of money, all of a sudden you're a hero now and you're worshipped and now you have a say about 
what, how things should be and what people should do. That's the country that we're in right now. Thank God we're not of this world system. By men of distinction who, in other respects, they led exemplary lives. They, were, they had it all together. But the word poinia was used of illicit sexual intercourse in general. And boy, is it out there. It's in Disney being taught to children. Transgender taught to children. Being taught to our children. The word or here, or, or anything else, sets this sin emphatically by itself, pornea. You see it everywhere. You can't turn on a commercial or a program anymore. Not even, you can't do it. We need to be so protected. The only way that's going to happen is with his love. The only way that's going to happen is when these things are taught explicitly and they're obeyed. And that's a local assembly. It is. It is. That's your family. I want to make that crystal clear. You want, I want to make that crystal clear. That is your true family. If you don't believe me, you read Luke the 8th chapter and Matthew the 12th chapter. And how Jesus set himself apart from natural family. He loved them. Listen to me. He loved them. He died for them and they were even born again. But he still, in the areas, separated himself from them. So should you. So should I. This was very convicting to me. Because it's so easy. It's so easy to settle in those that we choose to be with. They win us. If it's not Christ, they win us over every single time. Did you know that? We will, get to, we will be just like them. And we say it's because we don't want to offend them. Matthew uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Evil companions, communications there is companions. And it, could, and it could be a Christian too. It could be one that's born again. Evil companions corrupt good manners. They'll win you every single time. You need to be careful who you're around. You read Jeremiah 5, 5, the A part, not the B, and read Proverbs 13, verse 20. He that walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. And that's what the enemy wants to do in your experience. He wants to destroy you in your experience. He doesn't want this kind of teaching on. I'm going to tell you that right now. He does not want it. He doesn't want it. Listen to me. He doesn't want this teaching out. And he doesn't want it submitted to in me and in you. Me and in you. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. So we're going to close here. That word of there, which in the Greek is E, it's a long E in our English, it sets this sin emphatically by itself. The word covetousness is pleonexia, means greedy desire to have more. It speaks of avarice. I looked up the word avarice. Here's what the word avarice means. Insatiable greed for riches. I'm going to take care of me and my family and then everybody else. Really? Really? So you set yourself apart from local assembly. 
And I believe that we do have responsibilities. Yes, look. Insatiable greed for riches. Read 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. How the enemy destroys young people. I've seen it happen with people here and people in Burleson. I've seen the desire for riches destroy people. Young men specifically. It's inordinate, miserly desire to gain and hoard wealth. <laughs> Read the book of Ecclesiastes. That Solomon was a multi-trillionaire, by the way. Had enough money and women that you could shake a stick at. You couldn't even count them. And he was miserable in his natural thinking. Not once here. It's not to be named once. Once here is Mede, M-E-D-E. Not even, don't even let it be named once. And there's a, there's a strong negative towards it. There's a strong negative towards that word. Not once is Mede, not even. It's the strong negative Mede that gives it this force. And that force is love. God speaks to us strongly with force. And you know, the flesh doesn't like that. Doesn't like the strong force of God's love. Not to speak of, do, of doing such a thing. Don't even let it be named as much as even mentioned among you. Not even mentioned. This is, in, this is what the enemy has and wants and desires in our experience to be in place of all this love that's ours in Christ. Did you know all the love, all the need that we will ever have for all eternity is in Christ in us, and we can choose him any single time we want. And when we don't choose him, we choose some form of sin. And sin is lust, and lust is insatiable. It's never satisfied. We will never be satisfied. But thank God he satisfied us with his love. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.